0: You're listening to Sermons from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church, please visit our website at gccugene.org. The Gospel of John is where we're going to be at this morning. So if you would, open your Bible to John chapter 20. If you don't own a Bible, there's Bibles at the back of the room. If you don't own one, please take one of our Bibles home with you, write your name in, it's our gift to you. So we would love for you to have a Bible. If you need one, again, they're located on the Connect table at the back of the room. So turn to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John's in the New Testament. If you're unfamiliar with your Bible, it's more toward the back of your Bible. Goes Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John. If you get to Acts, you went too far. Happy Easter. It's good to see you guys this morning. It's good to be worshiping with you guys this morning. It's awesome to see how far we've grown over the years. And I just mean in a response. When we planted Gospel Community Church back in 2015, and then in 2016 and 17, we would say, he has risen. And then people would go, it's cool. No, 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 people wouldn't. People wouldn't do that. They would just be like, cool, man. Like, no, no one knew the response. And so now when I say it, you guys respond back. It's like, wow, look at that. We've really grown, so let's try it again. He has risen. He has risen indeed. I'm so proud of you guys. (laughs) So proud. Gospel of John. We're actually going to read through all of chapter 20, and then we're going to dive into it this morning. I want to make it really, really simple. Some of you guys call Gospel Community Church your home and your family. Some of you guys are investigating the claims of Christianity, trying to see and understand who this Jesus is, because you have to do something with him. He quite literally divided time. You can look at all the great people throughout history and say there is something significant about Jesus. We have to do something with him. And so this morning you might be someone figuring out or trying to figure out what to do with the claims of Christianity. I want it to be incredibly, incredibly simple for you. One word that I want you to remember, believe, believe. That's what we're gonna look at this morning, believe and exactly what that means. So turn with me to John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early While it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must first rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. In this next section, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. She's weeping because she doesn't know where Jesus went. And Jesus comforts her by calling her by her own name. And then we jump down again to verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed Because you have seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Verse 30 and 31, John tells us the whole purpose of writing this gospel. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe, let's pray, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that we gather here this morning only by your grace. No one has life breath in their lungs, the ability to walk, talk, or do anything outside of a God who has given us life. But God, you don't just offer physical life. You offer spiritual renewal and new life and eternal life. You offer us the very righteousness of your Son. You offer us the victory of your Son. You offer us the living hope of your Son. You offer us an abundance of life in you, Jesus. Thank you Let it be loud and let it be clear that the message of Christianity is not do a bunch of good things, but it's done by the Lord and Savior himself. Let our response be belief in what Jesus has done. And then out of the belief, out of looking to who you are and what you've done and what you've provided, Lord, let our response be to love you and love others. Father, those that are hurting this morning, we recognize you're a good God, And we can cling to your goodness and we recognize, Jesus, that you sympathize with those that are in pain, those that are grieving. Thank you for the hope of the gospel that you are with us. Father, quiet our minds, quiet our souls, give us ears to hear, help us to listen intently for what you have for us. We love you, we praise you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, I want to be very simple, very clear so our main point this morning is believe. That's what we're going to be looking at. That's what we're going to be focusing on. Now, there, there is something that happens nowadays. If you go on the internet and you are trying to purchase something or buy something, oftentimes the internet asks you a question and, they, and, and you're prompted to answer this. I am not a robot. Are you guys familiar with this? And so what happens is something comes on because apparently there's a surge and influx of robots sitting in front of a computer out there and they want you to prove you're not one of them. And so Google or whoever it is makes you click these things, and they ask you to write the words in the box, okay? I'm not one who believes you can lose your salvation. If I did, I would say the closest I've ever come is to filling out the letters that are in the boxes provided here. I'm just saying. I think there's some sick people on the other side of this laughing as they watch people try to punch in these numbers. And so maybe you've seen this, something like this pops up, and it's extremely blurry, extremely hard to even punch in. Or maybe you've seen the other little icons that come up with the images. Have you guys seen those as well? Like this. We we live in a culture that is so incredibly offended by everything. Let me tell you, I find it offensive that this asks you to check the boxes with the motorcycle in it. Because there is not a motorcycle anywhere (laughs) on the screen right now. I would rather Google identify me as a robot than play these games. So I'm not doing it. And so you look here and you see... They want you to check the box of the motorcycle. And we all know that's a Vespa, not a motorcycle. And so I, I say all this just to simply say this. I don't want you walking out of here this morning going, what in the world is that? What in the world are we supposed to be looking at? What in the world is this preacher saying? I want it to be crystal clear what Christianity is, what our message is, and what the gospel is. I want you, even if you choose to reject it, if you choose not to believe the claims of Christianity, to at least know what you're rejecting. If someone comes to you and says, are you a Christian? You say no. And they say, do you know what the message of Christianity is? I want you to be able to say, I actually do. I know what I'm rejecting. I know that I'm rejecting the gospel, which means good news. And I know exactly what Christianity is claiming to profess. I know who Jesus is professing to be. And I know exactly what I'm rejecting. And so I want to make it really clear this morning, the message of Christianity and that we're called to do one thing, believe. So let's look at this. We're going to run back through it. First, in verse 1 of chapter 20, it says, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. Let's pause there. The very fact that all of our gospel writers put Mary Magdalene's name in there is incredible. Why? Because one of the claims that skeptics like to bring forth and say is that a bunch of guys got together together, several centuries after Jesus had lived, and they recrafted the whole Bible and everything to make a story just how they wanted it. The problem with that is, is the embarrassment factor. Ladies, in this society, women did not have credibility in their testimony. They were seen as social outsiders, social, in a sense, outcasts. And so to claim in all four gospels that a woman is the first person that Jesus appeared to would not be a good way to create a story that's supposed to be believable for everyone else. In fact, it'd be quite the contrary. And so the fact that the gospel writers put this in here is significant, but what it also shows this is the message of Christianity that we are called to believe in is a message of grace. What is grace? Grace is something that you cannot earn Specifically with God, it means this, there is nothing that you can do or provide to earn God's love, acceptance, and approval for you. If there's anything that you can point to and say, I have done this, Lord, I have done this, that is not grace. Grace is what we call a one-way love. It comes at you one way from God, and he is the one that does all the choosing and continues to choose you, not based upon your works, your merits, your effort. And what we are called as Christians to believe is God saves by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. Mary was not only a woman, but she is a woman who had seven demons cast out of her. I know this might be offensive for some of you guys, but she would be called, like in modern day terms, like be taught to. Him. And so to put her down as a credible source, as someone that could be talked to, just seems absurd. But what we're seeing here is that God doesn't say based upon pedigree. He doesn't save based upon your lineage. He doesn't save based upon how well you were thought of in the social world. God saves by his choosing and by his own grace. And so we see that he appears to Mary Magdalene and she went very early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away. That's interesting language. The stone had been taken away. The stone had been removed. In Christianity, in Christianity, we look at that and go, there's an empty tomb. And quite simply, if you want to to disprove the claims of Christianity, then just provide the body of Jesus Christ. But we have an empty tomb. You have a tomb for Buddha, you have a tomb for everyone else in the world. There is no tomb where Jesus' body was laid because it was rolled away and it's empty. Oftentimes people will bring up such silly arguments for the empty tomb, they will say, well, dogs dug up the body and carried it away. That's not the kind of tomb that Christ was placed in. It was literally carved out of rock. Well, the disciples cooked up this plan and they stole the body. Okay, a group of guys that are locked in a house, we see multiple times, all of a sudden got the courage and said, you know what, let's create a lie. Let's do this. Let's go steal the body. Let's take it away from those Roman soldiers who could whoop us. After we do that, we'll hide it. We'll tell everyone Jesus died, and then for the rest of our lives, we'll be persecuted and then at the end, martyred. Yeah. Nothing essentially good as far as the physical world deems good will come of this as far as monetary value or anything like this. Who's in? It would make no sense. You see, a person might live for a lie if there was some sort of blessing from the lie, but to know that you created something like that so that you would be persecuted for the rest of your life and then mur- uh, martyred? I mean, some. Throughout church history, we know that Peter was crucified upside down. His wife was crucified, Thomas, and this was speared. It doesn't seem to make sense. As we keep cruising along, it's pretty funny that the author, John, himself in the story, telling the story, makes it known twice that he did outrun Peter to the tomb. And and for so long, I was like, that guy has a special place in my heart because he's competitive. But the reality is, is... John, the author, is trying to draw us to see something. That he did get to the, uh, they, he got to the tomb first. But what John did is John just looked inside of the tomb. When Peter got there in typical Peter fashion, Peter didn't stop. He just, boom, right on into the tomb. Then Simon Peter came, verse 6, following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on the purple, lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Look at this. The purpose of John's writing is this. Then the other disciple, whom had reached the tomb first, John himself, also went in and saw, and he believed. He believed. We don't see that Peter believed. We don't see anyone else believing. What did they believe? They had to believe that uh, what John believed was that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was risen from the dead. That he had walked out, that he's alive. And it tells us right here in 9... They did not understand the scripture. Part of this is the Sadducees was a group of Jewish people and they didn't actually believe in a resurrection at all. And so they had so much of this influence. But the truth is, is if you look back at the Old Testament, it does prophesy about the Messiah rising from the dead. I'll give you some verses. You can look at them later if you want. And I'm just going to run through these quickly Psalm 16:10, Hosea 6:2, Hosea 13:14, Isaiah 25:8, Psalm 91, Psalm 21:4. Psalm 23, six, Isaiah 53.10, and then Matthew 12.40, Jesus says, hey, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so will I rise. So Jesus looks at the story of Jonah and says, hey, that's actually pointing to my resurrection as well. So the point of John writing all this is belief, that we would believe, that we would believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And then as this next section here in 11 through 18, again, we have Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene. We have him telling her this in verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Then Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then he had said these things to her. And then we go on and we see that Jesus appears to the disciples who are hiding behind a locked door, which by the way, they're hiding because they're scared of the Jews. Jesus walks through the doors, however he does that, and walks inside, and his words are, peace be with you, which is hilarious to me. And he says that twice. And then we get to the story of Thomas. And Thomas says, I'm never going to believe, the skeptic, I'm never going to believe unless I look into the hands and into the side of Jesus. That is the only way that I will believe. What does Jesus do? He walks in and he addresses Thomas by name. Remember, Jesus' friends abandoned him and left him for dry when he was crucified. His friends walked away from him. If I appeared to Thomas, my response would not look like Jesus. I'd be like, do you want to see the scars? You know, and I would let him see part of my hand, but it would not look anything like Jesus walking toward him saying, look, here, you are a doubter, you are a skeptic. See, Thomas, let me ask you this. Do you see Jesus' tender?" and gentle as someone who moves toward you in the midst of your shame, in the midst of your sin? Do you see him as someone who is kind? Someone, though, in the midst of all of this, his friends abandon him, still moves toward them. Why? Because our God saves by grace. And so he does. And he moves towards Thomas, and he shows him his hands, and he shows him his side. And look at what it says. Thomas said in verse 28, My Lord and my God. Thomas recognized this is not only Jesus Christ, this is also Jesus Christ, the living God. And he makes that proclamation that we see back in John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. We see Thomas declaring this declaration. He's God. And then we see at the end of the sentence, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And then Jesus goes on to say, the purpose of this book is belief. Let me explain this. Today, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you what God's will is for your life. I think so. I've heard so many people, especially young people, say, hey, I'm just trying to figure out what God's will is for my life. I want to figure that out. What is God's will for my life? Okay, today I'm going to tell you explicitly what God's will is for your life. Let's look at some verses that do that. John 6, 28 says this. Then he said to them, Jesus speaking, speaking with the Pharisees, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Listen to how Jesus answers. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. John 6, 40, Jesus says, for this is the will of my father. Ready? Listen. This is the will of my father. You want to know what God's will is for you. This is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There you go. We can keep reading. John 1, 7 says, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John 1.12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. First John 3.21-23 says this, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. Listen to this, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him, then that would lead us to say, what are his commandments and what pleases him? And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. 1 John 5.1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. 1 John 5.5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John over and over and over again, and then in 1 John we see it, the purpose of The gospel is that we would believe in the Son of God. God's will for us is that we would look to the Son of God's problem. Believe. Believe what? So many people in our world today believe that our greatest problem is our spouse, our children, our finances, our next decision in life, our neighbors, and everything else. The truth is, our greatest threat and our greatest problem in this life is our own sin, because our own sin separates us from God, and the consequences of sin is death. As Ian said earlier, no one is perfect. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and so therefore our sin leads to death, which separates us from God. You have to know this. God has a personal vendetta against sin, because sin leads to death, and both of those separate us from him. Our biggest problem in this world is that there's a bully that no one else can beat, And it's called sin and it's called death. So the way that our world responds with this, uh, the lack of peace that you have, all that's going on in your life and your marriage and everything else, our world comes forward and says, hey, here's some really good advice to help make your life better. This is why the self-help industry is a billion dollar industry. Buy these books, try these things. Hey, here's three tips to make your life better. Hey, here's three tips to fix your marriage. Hey, here's three things you can do to uh, to get your finances organized. Our world comes with good advice. The message of Christianity is not good advice. It's fundamentally different. It is good news. When you hear advice, there's things you have to do. When you hear Christianity, what you hear is what's been done, and then we believe. So imagine this. Imagine you go to school, and there's this bully at school. And every day, this same bully bullies you. And you can't stand leaving because you know every day got to face the bully. And then you know, at the end of this day, the bully says, I'm going to give you the biggest beating of your lifetime. And I'm going to be in the parking lot waiting for you. And so all day at school, all you can think about is, dang, I got to face the bully today. And so you, you, you might send a friend ahead and say, hey, do you mind going and scouting out the parking lot for me? And when your friend comes back to you, your friend might say, hey man, the bully's there. <laughs> it's not looking good. He looks angry. At that point, what you might need is some advice. Hey man, Have you ever thought about, like, crawling underneath the fence? Have you ever thought about maybe taking this? Have have you ever thought about going to the principal and trying these things? Advice, advice, advice. How much different would the story be if this happened? Hey, your older brother caught word about the bully, and he showed up, and he met the bully in the parking lot, and he whooped the bully's butt. I mean, he's down for the count. Bully is not getting up. When your friend comes back to you, that's a different story. We would call that good news. Your friend wouldn't say, hey man, here's some advice you need to do. Your friend would say, everything that needs to be done to beat the bully has been done. All you need to do is believe. In fact, you can just march onto the parking lot, right on past it with rest, with peace, with joy, because the bully is no longer going to be a threat to you. He's gone. Which, by the way, I don't know if you guys ever saw the MTV show Bully Beatdown back in the day, but I loved that show. Not related at all to anything. Just wanted to say that. That is what we would call good news. The bully's done for. Do you know the bully of sin and death has been undefeated in human history? Perfect record. Jesus Christ looked sin and death into its cold, dark, eternal eyes, And he's the only one that stepped into the ring with sin, and stepped into the ring with death, and walked out victorious. Unscathed. He, he, he beat sin. He conquered it. Your greatest threat, your greatest enemy is your own sin. Not your neighbors, not your spouse, not anyone else. It's your own sin. That's what separates you from God. And so Jesus comes to this earth, and he lives a life of righteous obedience. And then he takes that righteous life of obedience to the cross, And then what he does is he takes God's full wrath and punishment from a just God for our sin and rebellion against him. And then he declares from the cross, it is finished. It says in Galatians 3.23 that we were crucified with him. We are so much a part of Christ, it is like we were on the cross with him. And then it also says that we were buried with him in Romans 6.4. That is, as Christ went in the tomb, so we went into the tomb with him. And then when Christ walked out of the tomb on Easter morning, Over 2,000 years ago, he walked out victorious. He walked out proving that everything that was ever said by him was proven true. Your sin, your guilt, your shame, all that has the power to separate you from God has been beaten. It's done. Death is no longer something to be feared. It's a stepping stone for you to get into eternity with God. He didn't just come that we would have life, but we would have eternal life. What do we need to do? Believe. Believe in the life Christ lived believe in the death, that he died on the cross, believe that he went into the tomb, believe that he walked out of the tomb. What do we get as a result of believing and trusting that Jesus is who he said he is and did what he said he did? Because you, you have to deal with this. I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I do not like it. I think it's intellectually lazy when people say, hey, I, I think it's cool that Christianity works for you. Um, I think Jesus is a good moral teacher. And, and if it makes you feel better about yourself, great. As was read early, we're the most to be pitied if the resurrection did not happen. Jesus is not a good moral teacher. He didn't profess to be that. He professed to be God in the flesh. We have to deal with that. We have to deal with who Jesus claimed to be. I feel uncomfortable saying this, but he's either a lying and moral lunatic, or he actually is the son of God, because that's who he professed to be. But he did not profess just to set a good example and to be a good teacher. He professed, I am the only way, the truth and the life to have a relationship with God. For your sins to be washed away, for you to be made righteous, it is only through belief and trust in me. Let's look back at this quickly and see what is the outworking when we believe that Jesus beat our greatest bully. It says the stone had been taken away. Interesting language. When we believe in Jesus, the stone is taken away. What exactly does that mean? If you look back in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 33, something significant happens. Israel sins, and King Saul at the time says, hey, bring a stone in. Bring a stone here, because we need to make a guilt offering for the sins that we've committed. And so that's what they do. They shed blood on the stone. The stone here is taken away, meaning this. When we believe in Christ, all of our guilt, all of our sin, all of our shame is taken away. It's removed. Let's keep cruising. We also see linen cloths. We see linen cloths and we see a head covering. When we believe in Jesus, what do we get? It says in Galatians that we put on Christ. It says in Isaiah 61 that we wear the garments of salvation. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That means this, when you believe in Jesus, God doesn't look at you for now, for 10 minutes from now, for 10 years from now, for the rest of eternity. God looks at you and sees the righteous perfection of his son. Listen, those clothes, the linen cloth, the face covering, those represent death. So does our sin. Those clothes don't belong to you anymore. Christ walked out showing that he's conquered it. He walked out with newness as a new creation. We walk out with him with new life, with new robes, with righteousness. Don't put your sin back on. Don't wallow in your sin. The sin was left in the tomb. Jesus left it there so we could walk out and live into the righteousness that he's provided for us. That's what we walk in, that kind of freedom, that kind of clothing. Don't wallow in what was left in the tomb, your shame, sin, and guilt. Instead, wallow in the victory of Christ that he's provided when he walked out. What else do we get? Look here. 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers. First time he refers in in this gospel to the disciples as his brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. First time the gospel, John uses this language, to my Father and your Father. When we believe in what Jesus Christ has done, we are given the names of sons and daughters. We belong to the eternal family of God and nothing and no one can ever remove us. This world could Waste away. Everything in this world, the foundations could move. Everest could move. You as a child of God can never be moved. That's an identity that's given to you secure through belief in Christ. As we go on, we see this in verse 19. Jesus says, peace with you. And as he says to Thomas in verse 26 and 27, he says, peace with you. You don't ever have to worry about God's wrath or punishment coming to you because when you believe in Jesus, what you get is you are at peace with your creator, and what your soul needs more than anything else that you think your soul needs is you need to be at peace with God. You, you were created by him, and you were created for him, and there's no way to be at peace with God unless the king of peace brings you to peace with him. In fact, I know this sounds awful to say, but I'm okay saying it. I would pray that anyone that I know soul would be restless, would have no peace until all of our peace is found in the king of peace because we will not know true peace like we find through belief in Jesus Christ. I spent a decade of my life quite literally trying to fight for a name for myself through the world of mixed martial arts, quite, quite literally trying to fight to prove myself, to figure out what was wrong with his internal peace inside of me. I would say where, where, where I found peace was through an identity in Christ, through knowing that God, my father, looks at me and says, that's my son, and he will forever hold that title. We keep going, and what do we see? We see this, that people that believe are also sent. For a while, they went back to their homes, but now they recognize God sends. If you believe in Christ, then you need to know this. Christ has something better for you. Please don't get all in a bunch about this. Christ has something better for you than church attendance once a year on Easter. Does, and here's my challenge for you. Give yourself one month to come back and investigate the claims of Christianity. Come back to investigate the claims of the gospel that says, here's what I've done, now believe. Just one month of your life to look at, there's this person who's completely reshaped human history. I'm gonna give a month of my life to to, to at least investigating it. Because when Christ lays claim on your life, when, when you believe in him, he calls you to live out of this new creation as a saint, as a righteous one, as a holy one, to believe in him, but to live out of this. And one of the greatest evidences that we have that people do have a genuine faith is by their love for one another. You will know you're my disciples. How? By their love for one another. It's hard to do that when we are removed from the body of Christ. I would say impossible. Belief. Last, I want to focus in on this. What we get through Christ is victory and rest. I love what Charles Spurgeon says, my favorite theologian. He says this about the stone. In the second place, regard the stone as a trinity setup, set up. As men of old set up memorial stones, and as at this day we erect columns to tell of great deeds of prow- prowess, so that stone rolled away was, as it were, before the eyes of our faith consecrated that day as a memorial of Christ's eternal victory over the powers of death and how brethren believed in Christ. As we look at yonder stone with the angel seated upon it, it rises before us as a monument of Christ's victory over death and hell, and it becomes to us, remember, that his victory was achieved for us, and the fruits of all of it are ours. Death is swallowed up in victory, 1 Corinthians 15. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Look at what 57 says. But thanks be to God who gives us not a victory, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. First John 5, 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. When we believe in Jesus, he gives us our victory. He, he gives us his victory so that it becomes our victory. We have not overcome sin in our lives. We have rebelled against God, but the way God sees us is that we are victorious over every sin in our lives. Because Jesus made his victory our victory. And then we celebrate Easter on the first day of the week. Why? Sunday. And it's called the first day of the week. Jesus Christ provides true, eternal rest for our souls. When you believe who Christ is and what he's done, it brings rest to your soul. The rest of the world works six days a week to try to get a day off. They work week long to try to get a weekend off. That's not what the Christian does. The Christian starts with Sunday. Why? Because we work from what Christ has done and provided. It's finished. It's done. And then we get to work from that rest, not for the rest. Let me say this in closing. The message of Christianity is done. And therefore, believe. Believe who Christ says he is. Believe what Christ says he's done. And the outworking of this belief are all these magnificent things that we get to receive. His victory. His righteousness his rest. But as Journey said, don't stop believing. It wasn't actually intended to be funny. Sorry. <laughs> but literally, every second of every day, what we do from now and for all of eternity is we continue to live out God's will for our life, looking to the Son and believing in him and saying, that's my salvation. The reason I know God loves me is because of that. And let me say this to you. Some of you guys are going through horrific pain in your life, all sorts of troubles. Some of you are sick. Some of you know someone who is. Some of your marriages are in Iraq. of the resurrection. This is why the message of Christianity and of the gospel and of the resurrection brings such hope. If God can take something out of something so dark that the only innocent man in all of human history was crucified on a cross, and he can bring beauty and glory out of that, then we can surely trust God that he can bring beauty out of the ashes in our life. But we can also trust this, that regardless, the Christ who was raised to death, buried in the tomb, walks out and says, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. What we have in Christ is not just life, but he came that we would have life abundantly. Jacob pulled the stone away from the well in Genesis 29. God pulled the stone away. The outworking of what we get is Christ being with us and being the bread that'll never let us hunger, the water that'll never let us thirst. Christ becomes abundant life for us, with us, satisfying us as our ultimate treasure. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message of hope, the message of the gospel, the message that we believe. Let us do that. Let us stake our full weight and confidence in you. In Jesus' name, amen.